Ecclesiastes in chapter 4, finishing up chapter 4 tonight. In uh, previous lessons, we've noticed, if you remember, how Solomon um, observed the oppression of the poor. He observed how both the oppressor and uh, those oppressed, uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, says they have no comforter. And this led to a discussion of work and laziness, if you remember, in our last um, time together, as well as contentment and the, the workaholic. We had the two different, um, the two different uh, things that we looked at, and the one who is driven yet never finds relief um, nor satisfaction. And in spite of this, that person, that workaholic, whatever, never stops to ask, why am I doing what I'm doing? We talked about that. And usual, as usual, uh, as Solomon has declared, this is vanity and a grave misfortune. You know, when you put your trust in the things of this world, it's nothing but vanity and emptiness um, when we trust in the things of this world. And this world has a lot of things to offer, doesn't it? In materialistic things. Um, has a lot to offer, again, in that area. And sometimes we find ourselves um, focusing on those things, those materialistic things. And... Solomon has declared that it's all empty and vanity um, when we do those things. So tonight's lesson, we find Solomon following up all of that with observations about the value of a friend. A passage that's very familiar to all of us. A lot of times we will hear this passage used in weddings sometimes uh, in the thought of two are better than one, especially the three chord part and uh, those types of things. But he's looking at the value of a friend. And then that is followed up, as we're going to see tonight, by some observations about the temporary nature of those who rule and in this chapter and, and those that follow, we're going to find a variety of topics addressed, much like the Proverbs. You know, as each verse or short section can be applied individually and also contribute to the understanding of and finding value in this lie. Uh, of course, with a view um, toward eternity of course, in those thoughts and all the applications that we make. But however, in this chapter 4, the varying themes, again, can be tied together under the heading of the value of a true friend. You know, the value of a companion. The value of a companion or of that friend that shares life. You know, many of us today have what we would call best friends. You know, we can have 5,000 friends on social media, but none of them really be a valuable friend. Um, a true friend. You know, we think about that, and, and as I thought in studying this in my life, um, 
value. I've got friends, and I'm sure you do as well, but how many of us have a true friend, a, a, a best friend? And I hope you do, uh, because it makes life a lot easier, doesn't it? Um, so again, I want us to, to turn our thoughts toward that tonight in verses 9 through 12, the value of a true friend. If you remember the verses just prior to this, address again the one who is alone. Because he or she is driven by work and a lack of contentment that they fail to consider from whom and why they're doing what they do. That is the one that is so consumed with either his work or some hobby to the point that he loses everyone who is dear to him all around him. Far too many today fall into this category and many are miserable, unfortunately. Two are better than one, the Bible reads. You see, this verse is sometimes again quoted at wedding ceremonies. Um, yet that is not the exclusive focus of this section, but it's appropriate to use in that connection of marriage for a marriage to be healthy. You know, in your marriages, and those of you who will marry, what do we hear often? Marry your what? Your best friend. To be able to have a healthy relationship in that marriage, you ought to strive to be best friends with each other. If you remember in Genesis 2 and verse 18, God said that it was not good that man should be alone. It's never good for a person to be alone, is it? Now, we often have people through the years, and you probably know people now, as well, they just like to be a loner. You know, that's got to be a, a difficult thing to be alone. Um, I told you this weekend, our house was very quiet. Amanda and I felt alone. Uh, and it was different than what normally, normally is happening in our home. Um, but I can't imagine that. You know, being alone without someone to be there and to share things with. And, um, I was watching, uh, they've put All in the Family, Archie Bunker, back on MeTV. I've been watching All in the Family. I used to love watching Archie Bunker and Edith. Uh, but anyway, I was, I was watching an episode this afternoon, and Gloria, the daughter, had found women's lib book back in the 70s. That was a big thing. And, of course, Archie was against it and this, that, and other, and her husband was against it in, in, in some shape, form, and fashion. But anyway, <clears throat> he was waiting on some grades to, to have. Well, he's in college, and... and um, she had left because they'd gotten into a fuss and this, that, and other. And, and when he got his grace, she wasn't there for him to go share it with. And, and they got back together. He told, he told her, he said, I didn't have it to share it with nobody. He said, I was alone. And he said, we've got to get back together and, and, and fix this thing. And, and, and they were, you know, they um, got back together, whatever. But the whole purpose was is they didn't have anything to share about, anybody to share it with. You know, I, <clears throat> I've experienced that. In my own personal life, talking about a friend and companions, and every time used to that um, 
I had gained something or bought something or something big had happened in my life or whatever, I'd always go to my grandfather. And I wanted to go share it with him. I couldn't wait to tell my grandfather about what had happened and, you know, and, and what I'd got or whatever. And then it was O'Neill and, and uh, after he died and, um, and, but number one, I mean, you know, a lot of times in my own personal home, it was my wife. I couldn't wait to tell her. So that's the type of relationship that we're talking about is, is without that, the value of a true friend and a companion. Two are better than one. Um, you know, we also need to consider the different benefits that Solomon mentions here in this text, and they all apply uh, in, in a special way to a healthy marriage. And that's why we find instructions about husbands and wives loving each other and being there for each other. In Ephesians 5 and 22, the relationship there of husbands as well as wives that we can read. Titus 2 and verse 4, um, talking, establishing in the responsibilities of a wife to their husband. Um, in 1 Peter 3 and verses 1 through 7 as well. All those give us good instructions about husbands and wives and how they are to treat one another. And how they are to be submissive to one another. And that was the whole thing, again, about all in the family, uh, women's live. She, you know, he was like, she said, I'm not going to be submissive to you anymore. And I can remember, actually, I'm old enough to remember that in the 70s, that was a big thing. And I can remember conversations being about that in the, in the out of pulpits, about how women were were being liberated and how there was against what the Bible was teaching as far as being submissive to a husband and, and those types of things. Um, so again, Solomon's got some good advice for us here. <clears throat> there are many examples uh, when he talks about two are better than one. There's many examples in the Bible. If you remember our Lord, turning the page here just a little bit, when um, he sent out the 12. He sent them out in Mark 6, verse 7, two by two, if you remember. And then later, there were 70, two by two, in Luke 10 and verse 1. Then there's something to be said about this when engaging in personal evangelism. It's always good to have a heifer with you. You know, we read of specific examples in the Bible. If you remember in 1 Samuel, what do you read about? David and who? Jonathan. The best friends, they say. 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 3. If you remember on over in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 2, you read of Elijah and Elisha. And then we, uh, in Ruth 1, you, you read about Ruth and Naomi. Uh, and Paul on his journeys, missionary journeys, always had somebody with him, didn't he? It's always had a part. Barnabas and Silas, if you remember. And Timothy and Luke as well as others. But most of the time, Paul has someone with him. Now, you think about when you go into 2 Timothy in chapter 4, in verses 16 and 17, Paul talks about his loneliness there. And if you remember, he urges Timothy to come to him. Paul said, I, basically, I need friends. You know, though he understood the Lord was always with him. And just like with us, we all, and what Solomon's trying to say, we all need friends. It's good to have friends, and it's good to have the right kind of friends and close friends because it makes these things in life that we endure a whole lot easier when those things, and Solomon knew the importance of that, and even God knew the importance of that. 
Because in the very beginning, Genesis 2, as I was quoted just a minute ago, he said it wasn't good that man should be alone. He knew man needed a help meet. He needed man, he knew man needed someone to converse with. And that's the way God, why God instituted marriage like he did. But again, we all need friends. Uh, again, there are those who sometimes uh, we say they're loners. But in reality, most, most people reach a point where they need someone. But their lonely choices leave them with no one to turn to. And that's sad, I think. But having friends is good. Two are better than one. If you remember in the, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs has a lot to say about a value of a friend. Proverbs 18, matter of fact, in verse 24, says, speaks of the friend who is closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. In that same chapter, <clears throat> Proverbs 27 and verse uh, 17, says, iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Proverbs has a lot about that. I hope you make notes of those and go and visit those on your own. Has a lot of value in knowing those friends. But again, it goes back to the thing this afternoon that we asked the question, do you and I have the right kind of friends? Who do you consider your best friend? Does your best friend as a young person, and not just our young people, but our older and adults and, and uh, parents as well, what kind of friends do you have? Are they good Christian friends? Are they friends that help you be a better person? They think about that. You think about your school friends. You think about people you may... I got friends that I, I, I hunt with and fish with and this and that. Are they friends that really make you a better person? Or are they friends that you have to really be careful about when you're around? Uh, what, what they're saying, what they're doing, and what they're not doing. Whatever the case may be. You see, I think that's an important question that no matter how old we are, we need to ask ourselves, what kind of friends do we have? Who do you consider your best friend? Of course, you know, marriage, you might say, well, it might be my mate. That's my best friend. Well, that's the way God intended it. But outside of that realm, what kind of friend do you have? Do they, uh, do they, they believe in, they, are they a Christian? Do they believe in, in God? Do they believe in Christ? Do they believe that, that you, you don't need to be drinking alcohol? Do you believe that, that they don't need to be all these bad um, different habits that we get into? What, what do they believe in? Are they helping you be a better person? Now, I will say this to our young people. That person you date should make you a better person. It should make you a better person in all areas of your life. And especially those who you may consider to marry. You know, through our raising our children, we always would say, their mother would say this, don't lower your standards. No matter how long long, or, or how long it seems or no matter how many dates you don't have or whatever the case, don't lower your standards. 
Because what happens when you lower your standards? You get things that are not so godly sometimes. But again, a true friend. These proverbs that we mentioned just a moment ago are about the blessings of a friend. Of course, there's much more to be said as we consider what type of friends, as we just talked about, that we ought to have in various thoughts about developing and maintaining friendships. But here, as with Solomon, we simply know there's great value. And that's what I want to leave you with tonight on that, on those, that set of verses. It's a great value to have a friend. It helps us to be better people when we choose the right kind of friends. And it's very, very important to each of us. Solomon gives a number of benefits to having a true friend. We see that <clears throat> because uh, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. You know, two are better than one, why? Well, it's likely that two working together can accomplish what? A whole lot more than just one person uh, or individually. Again, we referred to the to unequally yoked this morning and the yoke of horses and teams pulling together. Um, you know, a team of horses pulling a load. It's been proven again that two horses working together can pull actually three times the load of one horse. Now, I don't know who studied that, but somebody <laughs> that was out there. Uh, in the preparation of this lesson. And then it goes on and says, and if properly trained, those two can pull four times the load of one horse. Properly trained to pull together. You know, there's a lot of training that goes, and I can remember growing up on the farm of how in teaching those mules to pull together, because you'd have one want to pull this way or pull that way, or one pulling and one not, and, and, and it was it was a... Until you got them fully trained, you wasn't getting the full maximum extent of horsepower, if you will. Uh, but, but again, uh, they have a good reward for their labor. And, and people working together and, and accomplishing can accomplish a whole lot more as a team or more than just one person. You know, we've already seen the blessing of working with others. You know, and, and again, our, our Lord sent out his disciples and apostles by two, didn't he? Because he knew it was better. Uh, you, had, you have a better way of working that way. Well, what about the part in the verses there in our, our text? Uh, if one falls, if one falls, his companion is there to lift him up. And you know, that's, we apply that spiritually. We all, what, make mistakes, don't we? Yeah, we all make mistakes, we stumble and we fall, and if we're alone when we make those mistakes, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. But if we have a companion, a friend, or even a fellow worker, there's someone there to help us up, isn't there? In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, we warn the unruly. He says, comfort the faint-hearted and uphold the weak. And you know, and there is nothing as sad to me as having to go through difficulties alone. You know, spiritually, if someone falls down, is there someone there to pick them up? 
You know, we think about that, and, and part of that scripture says, Woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Think about this. When someone alienates their friends by bad conduct or constant criticisms, betrayal, or whatever the case may be, they find themselves alone. You know, and we're told in the scripture, if you remember, in Galatians 6 and verse 1, it says, Bear the infirmities there, restore such a one. Yeah. Someone turns away, James 5, 19 and 20, go and restore that one. You know, we need friends in the Lord's church. You and I need close friends that can help us when we fall down and when we make mistakes. But what about the rest of that scripture? It says they can provide warmth for each other. Of course, certainly, applying this in marriage in cold circumstances, people can stay warm longer, it's been proven, if they share each other's body heat, isn't it? You know, this implies, this particular statement implies a closeness in helping each other with their needs. You know, how, you ask the question, how can one be alone, or how can one be warm if they're alone? They can't, it's impossible, isn't it? So a lot of good information in, in this text tonight of 9 through 16 of chapter 4. They can provide warmth for each other. You know, circumstances of survival, we talk about with that. They're in a snowstorm, lost somewhere. Two can survive that way. But think about this. Possibly for someone, even in a crowd of brethren, it's possible for someone to be lonely, isn't it? Most certainly. And that can fall on two sides of the fence. It can fall on the other brethren in the congregation or it can fall on that one individual. I'll remember through the years people would always say, well, I went in and visited with them or I went to church and there nobody ever spoke to me. Well, you know why? Because no certain amen was said they'd hit that door or they hit that door and gave nobody an opportunity. You see, those types of situations they're not allowing people to be able to show that type or that type of uh, relationship for them. But what about the part where it says there, it says together they can withstand one seeking to overpower the one by himself. You know, I thought about in preparation for this, the man of the, uh, the uh, Good Samaritan, the man that was robbed, he was by himself, wasn't he? Maybe if it had someone else there, it might not have happened. I think about the importance of that. You know, most, uh, most thieves or most those who attack or whatever attack the weak and the misfortune or the ones who are alone, don't they? You know, there's power in going out together. You know, Proverbs 17 and verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know, we need to say that and know that there's safety in numbers. Used to, when Amanda and I would take young people out on trips and things down in Jackson, uh, Tennessee, and we'd go to Freed Hardman, we'd let them go to the mall. And we'd say, always have somebody with you. Don't go alone. Always have somebody with you. Because there's protection in, in numbers. But again, you have someone to defend and fight for you, whatever you're doing. I believe, again, it's why our Lord sent uh, those out two by two.
You know, many of us face struggles of various types. You know, and I believe Satan is the main perpetrator in all of those things. But you know what? When we have genuine friends, they want to help us through those times. Consider God's wisdom in giving us the church. You know, we're blessed. And sometimes when I hear that prayer right here in this pulpit, thankful for our church family. You know, tonight, are we thankful for our church family? That we have friends and that we have people who come to our aid when things are difficult or when we have different problems or whatever. And this congregation most certainly is known for that. It's done much good for many people in, in difficult situations. But that's a great blessing that you and I have. We have a lot of friends right here, don't we? Yeah, we have a lot of friends right here at this, this congregation. But again, you think about that. Whatever we're facing, I think about people with addictions. You know, I, if you've ever dealt with that, people who have addictions, and I most certainly live that in, uh, in my family, they encourage them to go to meetings. Why do I encourage them to go to meetings? Because they're around people who have the same issues they have and can share their stories and different things. And it gives them power. It gives them help. There's, there's power in numbers. Um, and, and I think that's a great strategy in helping folks uh, with those things. But what about the part in Scripture that says a threefold cord is not quickly broken? Three are even stronger than two. You know, you think about that. You think about how a rope is made, three different threads, and it's all woven together. One thread would be very easily to break, wouldn't it? But when you take and put three together and, and uh, braid them together, it's even stronger, isn't it? And that's the point there. There's strength in numbers. You know, apply, you take in, in that situation, you apply it to marriage. You know, uh, a healthy, godly marriage will consist of three cords, won't it? It'll consist of God and both mates. And I think that's what we and all of our young people need to strive for. You know, Hebrews 3 and 13 says, exhort one another daily. You know, that's just not only in the church. You know, we have the responsibility to resort one another. But I have a responsibility to exhort my wife. And my wife has a responsibility to exhort me. I have a responsibility as a spiritual leader of my home to exhort my family and to uplift.